1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name my is. Name. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Dr. Prasanth Singh is a dentist. And he's a dentist in India. He's also a keen environmentalist and a hunter. Now, that won't mean much to you, but there is no hunting in India. What Dr. Singh hunts is man-eating leopards in his state in India. He gets called up by the chief warden when there is a problem leopard, and he goes in and targets that specific leopard and takes it out because of its man-eating tendencies. There is some crazy wildlife conflicts happening in the world and no greater place that it's happening in than India. So enjoy this conversation because it's one that you have probably never heard before. You are actually beautiful. I'm audible. You are okay. audible okay. and uh, very excited to finally talk to you, Dr. Singh. Yeah, thank you, Robert. Thank you. No, for no, you cannot call me Robert. Inviting me. You cannot call me Robert. The only person who calls me Robert is my mother when she's mad at me. Please call me Robert. 
Okay. Okay. Hello, Robbie. And thank you for inviting me on your program. So, uh, Dr. Singh, I am going to do a very good job of introducing you because I'm going to do it right away. Typically, I do not do it right away. With Rajiv, it took me 10 minutes to introduce Rajiv uh, because we got talking about all sorts of things tied to tigers in India. But Dr. Singh, I want everyone to understand uh, where you are right now in the world and what your job is and who you are, of course. Uh, Hello, Ravi. I am Dr. Prashant Singh. I'm a dentist by profession and uh, I'm the president of the Indian Dental Association, Dehradun branch, which is the oldest branch in the country. I am also the executive vice president of the Wildlife Preservation Society. The society was established in 1958 by a very senior forest officer and the Maharaja of Naba. I am uh, a registered hunter with the government and I have shot eight man-eating leopards in the state I live in. So I basically live in a town called Dehradun. It's the capital of a state called Uttarakhand. And we have one of the worst man-animal conflicts as far as leopards and humans are concerned in the country. So, so that's, that's it about me. Yeah. I appreciate that. Um, and obviously in the country of India, that is that's about right. 10 hours ahead of us right now. Uh, yeah. it, what time is it there right now? It is 3.30, so we are about, yeah, 10 and a half, 11 hours ahead of you. No, no dentist practicing today? Uh, we've got a major problem with the COVID right now. So, oh, you do? You actually uh, yeah, have we've, got a we've got a lockdown. Problem. Yeah, that's right. So we've got a lockdown. So, and especially dentists are highly prone uh, to the virus. So I'm keeping it low. I've, I've cut down on my practice and I've cut down on my work as of now. So this was the right time that, I mean, you fixed up. I have all the time in the world. <laughs> well, that's great. I know that a, a mutual friend of ours that we're going to have on the podcast too, uh, Bigaranth, had COVID and luckily he has survived and he's feeling better. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, let me ask this because a lot of people don't understand what I'm about to say. And you almost... Uh, you contradicted yourself in what this is, but you can, you can very much explain the contradiction out that in India, there, there is no hunting in India. So That's right. how can you be a hunter in India? Yeah, the, the Wildlife Protection Act came into being in the early 1970s. And uh, thereafter, they put a complete ban on tiger hunting and uh, on big cat hunting and in hen- uh, on hunting in general. Uh, so there was actually a gap of so many decades, almost 50 years, that there was no hunting in India. And uh, uh, I, have the, I have hunted abroad. I have hunted in England. I have hunted in South Africa. And I've hunted in Argentina. So I have some experience. And that is how I got involved in hunting man-eaters in India. So what by the time I grew up, it was all banned. So, so I couldn't really hunt So you technically, are, you're not, you know, in the classic sense of hunting, you don't have, do you have a hunting permit? Is, because, yeah, or yeah. are you just a, a, could we rather, is it rather more accurate that you are a, a government predator control individual? Because you're not just going out there and doing it yourself. Are you getting tasked by the government to do it? 
That's right. That's right. There's a proper uh, official permit issued by the chief wildlife warden of every state. Whenever there is man-animal conflict, they always try to capture the animal first. They put up cages and they try to tranquilize the animal and catch it. If they are, fail in doing so and the human kills continue or attacks continue, then they invite hunters. So we have the authority to come and shoot the man-eater, identify and shoot the animal. So you so have killed eight man-eating that's leopards. Right. That's right. That's right. How many man-eating leopards do you think are in India today? Well, that would be a very, in fact, I was discussing the same with Rajiv in the morning today. Uh, he mentioned that there was a tiger attack yesterday. And uh, normally what we see, there's a trend. It's a seasonal trend. Uh, we have seen that tigers and lions are bold and they don't have a particular season. They hunt and they kill humans all through the year. But with leopards, it's different. Leopards are cunning. And normally we see the attacks, they start around the monsoon. That's in mid-June, mid-July, August. That's when the rains start coming in. And that's when the undergrowth gets thicker and denser. So you have a lot of lantana and you have the undergrowth growing. And leopards, basically, they need hiding space at ground level. So even if you don't have a forest there, but you have put undergrowth, you have leopards coming very close to the, uh, to the villages. And that's when the conflict actually starts. So we see that uh, uh, leopards, uh, the man-eating starts around uh, August in India, and it goes on. They, they operate from dusk to dawn. So it goes on. It actually increases in the winters because the nights get longer and the animal gets closer. It gets more time to operate and comes closer to the villages. So it's more of a seasonal-based man-eaters. Right now, we don't, I don't think there are any. There might be some sporadic at attacks, but officially we don't have because it's peak summer here and everything dries out. The, the undergrowth dries out. Right. People at times burn the for, uh, forest floor to allow the leaves to, they burn it out so that the fresh rain brings new grass and then they can feed their cattle on it. So, so in the absence of the thick undergrowth, the leopards avoid coming closer to human habitation. So this is the lean period when, when we don't really get too many man-eaters as far as leopards are concerned. So how many, but how many man-eaters do you think are in India? Are we talking uh, right tens now, or are we talking hundreds? Uh, uh, I, would, I would say, you know, the, the average in my state is about 50 plus humans are killed every year by leopards. And uh, across India, it would be anything from 150 to 200. Now, these are the official figures. There, the actual figures may be more because there are some states which are quite secretive about their man-animal conflict. And I really don't know the reason for it, but uh, somehow you don't come to know the actual figures in those states of the conflict. Just to give everyone a little bit of context here, you're talking 200, 200 plus people Killed being, by leopards. Being killed by leopards. That's if, right. If there was two people, two people killed by mountain lions in America, it would be absolutely shocking. It would be on headline news. Mm, that is and, true. And you're seeing 200 plus taken by one of your big cats. 
That's not right. including lions, not including tigers. And we have a major elephant problem as well. So not including elephants. We have quite a few rogues which go around killing people. Dr. Singh, do you think you have an endangered leopard population? Uh, first and foremost, I would like to tell you that India has a very rich biodiversity. We have three species of leopards. The Indian leopard, the snow leopard, and the clouded leopard. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, time out. Because Rajiv blew my mind when he said that you have tigers, lions, leopards, bears, wolves. That's right. Uh, there was another, you had another predator in there as well. But your predator, your predator diversity was crazy. Okay. That's right. Now you're That's explaining right. to me that you actually have three types of leopards. Three types of leopards. That's right. That's right. So we have the snow leopard, which is in the Himalayan landscape. And the estimated population of the snow leopard is about 500 across India. So there is only one state, the state of Himachal Pradesh, which has conducted a proper survey. And they have counted 75 snow leopards in an area of 25,000 square kilometers. The state I live in, Uttarakhand, has started the population census this year, so we still don't have the figure. And Ladakh, it is a union territory of India. Now that is the largest territory of the snow leopard. Then we have the clouded leopard. The clouded leopard is restricted to the northeastern state of India, starting from the foothills of Darjeeling, uh, Siliguri and going up to Assam and the Seven Sister States. The estimated population of clouded leopards is about 300 to 350. Now these two, the snow leopard and the clouded leopard are endangered, but the Indian leopard, that is not endangered, definitely not. We have them uh, all across the country, the Indian leopards, and in fact, we have black panthers as well. Now, black panthers, they are the same. They are a color variant, a melanistic variant of the, the Indian leopard, and they crossbreed, they interbreed with the regular leopards to produce both colors. The population of the Indian leopard in the tiger landscape, as per the 2020 census, is 12,172 to 13,535. This is an increase of 60% since 2014. Now, the actual figure, as per my estimate, is at least five times more. The reason I say that is that this census was carried out only in the tiger landscapes, not elsewhere. So India has just about 4% land, which is protected forest land in the form of reserves, national parks, and sanctuaries. So you can well imagine what the actual count of leopards of the Indian leopard would be all across the country. So 4% of the land, 4% of the land, just to make sure we get this right, 4% of the land in India is what was censored, which was, which was, which was surveyed. And from that 4% of the land, they estimated the population of leopards to be between 12 and a half and 13 and a half thousand leopards. That's right. That's right. 4% of the landscape. Yeah. And I've seen videos of black panthers 
in urban environments stealing dogs and stuff like that. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm coming to. In fact, my state uh, counted 839 leopards, the state of Uttarakhand. Uh, and again, like this was in the tiger landscapes where you also have tigers. But my personal experience, now I'll give you two examples. In the last six months, uh, the town I live in, in Beradun, we've had six leopards being captured and released into the forest from around the town I live in. So these leopards came into conflict. They were trapped. Uh, two of them got actually caught in clutch wire snares. Uh, these snares are normally put by poachers to catch wild boar and small game. But uh, sometimes the leopards get caught and uh, their, their paws get caught in that. And then uh, the villagers, they found them there and they informed the forest department. So they came and they darted them, rescued them, treated them and released them. So you can imagine now this, the, the count which I mentioned of 839 leopards in Uttarakhand, the, this part where I mentioned six leopards being caught in six months, doesn't, it does not come into that count, right? Similarly, last year in January, I went to a place called Haridwar. There's a, there's a factory called the BHL. I, had, I was asked to hunt a man-eating leopard there, which had killed three adults and injured one very grievously. So after that, uh, all attempts to capture the animal had failed. So they called me. And I, when I had the meeting with the DFO, the forest officer there, he showed me photographic ev evidence of six different leopards in the area, which included a female with two cubs. So you can imagine the amount of leopards, the number of leopards we actually have in the country. So it's much more than what the official figures there say, and it's definitely, definitely not endangered. The Indian leopards are not endangered. I can confidently say that. So it's amazing that the, um, and I guess it's just, you know, something like hunting has been banned since, you know, for almost 50 years now. That's that right. 250 plus human deaths would 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 cause someone to scratch their head and say man is there something we can do about this is there something that we can you know in is there an alternative practice is there an alternative solution uh to our human wildlife conflict that that we're that we're facing and i guess is is hunting even brought up in the equation in these in these discussions or is it just like nah don't even touch that yeah, it's more of a taboo as of now, but things have changed in the past few years. And uh, at least in the past four or five years, I've seen a definite shift where some states now allow culling of animals which cause crop destruction. Like, for example, my state, uh, we had a major wild boar uh, pop, uh, problem. So the Chief Wildlife Warden a few years back uh, issued culling permits for shooting down wild boar, so which was which were causing crop damage. So things are changing because they had reached with 50 years of a ban on complete hunting. Things had reached beyond a certain point where the people could not just tolerate the mm. the 
it know, can't be it got beyond never... toleration, right? It got beyond exactly. toleration. It got it got to a yeah. point where it's like this is this something has to be done. Something has to be done. So that change has been made. And as far as man eaters are concerned, uh, lip tigers they are turning man eaters, but issuing a tiger permit becomes even more difficult. So you actually have tigers which kill more than 15 people before the shooting permits are issued. And interestingly, even after that, when the tiger is finally shot, there is so much of resentment from the NGOs and from people that it's just quite unbelievable. And uh, interestingly, uh, I, I feel- From the people that are being attacked. Not, not from, the people, from the people, not the from ground, the people right? who are being killed, but from the urban people. The people who live, in fact, the price of conservation is actually being paid by those poor people who share their habitat with the wild animals. And uh, but the people living in cities and towns, they are the ones who are the ones who are shouting the most and complaining about the big cats being shut down. They are far from reality and they don't see the pain the poor people suffer when they lose their kith and kin to wild animals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the thing. Dr. Singh, I want to go back to a, a, a point that you mentioned. You talked about poachers and poachers snaring, um, you know, cats being caught in snares that were set for wild boar or whatnot. What would they be poaching for? If, if there's obviously India is a very interesting country from a a diet perspective and, and wild game doesn't really feature very heavily in, in folks' diets. So why would they poach wild boar no, no. or any other animals? Maybe give that... Exp- On the contrary, the state I live in, I would say 60% of the population is non-vegetarian. They have a mixed diet. So uh, there is a lot of poaching for wild boar and smaller game, hare and small birds in the villages. The protected areas are very well protected. The national parks, they are well protected, but most of the poaching goes on outside the protected areas because you have surplus animals coming out and uh, uh, they are the ones which are poached. So, so not, just, not just the diet, I would also say some amount of poaching happens because of crop destruction. Uh, if people have wild animals coming and destroying the fields. So there is a lot of uh, resentment and people do tend to uh, kill those animals. So poaching, you know, in the classic sense, poaching in Africa is someone going in, taking an animal and then selling it, right? Making money from that animal. There's always uh, no, a great... that... Go ahead. Uh, that, that doesn't really, uh, that's, that's not the... the... There was a time when big cats were being pushed for the Chinese market. Right. But then uh, you had bones, or lion bones coming from South Africa. So uh, that was cut down. But I've again heard that South Africa is planning to ban uh, captive breeding lions. And that may reduce the supply of bones too. China and the Southeast Asian countries where there's a heavy demand and uh, that may uh, give a rise to poaching of big cats in India because the demand, if, if you ban something, it really doesn't work. So you, that demand will still be there and then the, 
the, the animals, the, the shift will take place where there will be uh, probably poaching in India. So yeah, it'll be bad a, for India. Yeah, that's a very astute observation that, you know, the, the shifts in the wildlife markets, you know, they're going right. to touch and affect places that have an abundance mm -hmm. of wildlife. But I, wanna, I really want to hammer in on a little bit on that poaching thing because we always talk about poaching and we always also bring in the fact that there's a, there's a grayness to poaching, in, especially in Africa when people are you know, hungry. And how can, you, how can you get onto someone who is feeding their families, feeding themselves by going out and capturing an animal? snaring an animal and whatnot, right? And so I wonder what the situation, maybe you can give us some light on what the situation is like in India, in these rural villages. Are these guys, again, it didn't sound like they were doing it from an illegal bushmeat sales perspective, but rather, hey, I'm hungry. There's an abundance of wildlife here. I'm going to take uh, a boar or two and feed my family. And so in, this is where the dilemma comes in. Is that truly poaching? In the, in, the, in the legal sense, it is, but you also got the human, humanitarian component of it, which is, geez, man, they've got no protein source. You know, That's right. That is true. That is true. So most, mostly it's not uh, uh, for commercial purpose. Uh, the, the small game which they normally kill uh, is for their own personal consumption, consumption. And you have certain tribals who even uh, kill uh, monitor lizards for meat and uh, animals like uh, pangolin. So the scales they sell commercially to, to these uh, rackets, uh, to the uh, international illegal trade, uh, people who deal in wildlife trade, but the meat they consume of pangolin and of monitor lizard so things like that, so, but but it's mostly for their own personal consumption. Is there? I, I think Rajiv talked about the cattle situation in in your state. Are cattle uh, not allowed to be slaughtered? Is that true? Yeah, that has that has come up recently, uh, a few years back, and that has increased uh, the cattle population across uh, the state. And we now find a lot of cattle being uh, and dogs. We also have the, a major stray dog problem. In fact, uh, there's a city you must have heard of Mumbai, Bombay. Uh, they conducted a census some a few years ago on what they call urban leopards. So you actually have leopards living outside Mumbai. So they radio collared them and they conducted a census and they monitored them. And they found that 90% of the urban leopards, they were feeding on domesticated animals. And out of that 90%, 60% was stray dogs. So that's the amount they, they are feeding on. So they, they come into the towns, uh, the suburbs of Mumbai, and they pick up dogs from there. There's major, we are not allowed to call our stray dogs. So we have a major stray dog problem. And there's also the rabies capital of the world. So these leopards find it very easy to come into human habitation, pick up dogs in the night and go back. And now uh, I have observed in the last few hunts I've been on, I've, I've seen a lot of cattle, stray cattle being killed by leopards and being, and maybe that is the reason why we've got 
sudden increase, like I mentioned, uh, increase of 60% in the past seven years of the leopard population. So that could be because they get easy uh, eat, uh, animals yeah, to, to kill and eat. The prey base is amazing. That's right. You know, you, as you said, you, you're not allowed, uh, you know, a, a countrywide edict. Do not, uh, you're not allowed to kill stray dogs, which is crazy. You're not allowed to kill cattle. Both of them are going to reproduce, uh, especially dogs, right? Dogs just reproduce like crazy once they escape. And you've got a, an enormous biodiversity of predators on the landscape that now That's has right. an abundant prey source. So the, the, the fact that it's gone up 60% isn't, you know, shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, which then right. you marry that with the burgeoning Indian human population. Exactly. There's no surprise here. That's right. That's right. So, so it's a major problem. And what we have observed is that the man-animal conflict has actually increased with the increase in feral cattle and uh, stray dog population because the leopard finds easy prey. It doesn't have to walk miles inside the forest. It just comes close to a village. And uh, most of the, these villages have dumping grounds where they throw all their garbage. It is just outside the village. And these are the congregation. These are the places where these stray cattle and these dogs come and feed. So, so it, it knows exactly where to come, where it will have a dog or a cow uh, feeding on the garbage bin. And then it can just come and kill it and take it away. And subsequently what happens, it comes closer and closer to the village. And one fine day you have an incident when a child is lifted or a man is killed or a woman who's, who's gone to the, you know, take fodder uh, from the forest, they are killed. And that's, how, that's the beginning of a man-eater. Dr. Singh, will they actually eat them or they just kill them and then move off? Initially, it all depends. If it, they are opportunist killers, so it all depends on when it gets the opportunity to kill a human. And uh, once they kill it, and if they get time to feed on it, they will definitely eat it up. But at times what happens, uh, the villagers are, if they are up and about, and they find the person missing, they go looking for it. And if they create a lot of, uh, uh, you know, noise, and uh, then the animal leaves the prey and runs away. Mm -hmm. so that's what happens. But in most cases, uh, in some cases, it kills, goes away. But then the fear of humans goes away. And uh, that's when it becomes a habitual killer. It comes and it knows how easy it is to kill children or humans. And then it turns a man-eater. Mm. So, Dr. Singh, what's, what's the solution here? You know, yeah, uh, it's, it's not going to get any easier. It's not going to get the situation. It's not going to get any better. You could yeah, almost yeah. guarantee that the next five to 10 years, it's going to get worse. It is. It is going to. It's already pretty bad. And one of the solutions is obviously reducing the cattle numbers and the stray dog numbers that will keep the animals away. And I, having hunted abroad, and seen how hunting contributes to conservation, uh, I strongly feel that uh, uh, we should introduce trophy hunting into India, which will bring about a lot of revenue 
for conservation. That money can be used for conservation. For example, uh, now I have the statistics here. I'll read them out. Now there's a society called the Wildlife Protection Society. In 2014, they had noted that 331 leopards had been killed by humans. In 2015, they noted 339. 2016, the figure was 440 leopards. In 2017, 431. 2018, 460. And in 2019, 494 leopards died due to certain reasons, due to conflict with humans, due to disease, due to a lot of other factors, accidents. Sometimes you have road accidents, road kills. So that's the number of leopards which we are losing every year. So even if we take 10% of what we are losing and we give them out, we issue permits for hunting, you can imagine the revenue we can earn. The other day I was reading uh, on a forum, the trophy fee for a Neil guy in Texas was $3,000. Yep. So you can imagine the amount of revenue we can earn from Nilgai. I have Singh, hunted George, George, in Argentina, where Singh. the trophy fee that time of black buck and cheetal was around $2,500. In Prague, a Russian wild boar costs about 900 euros. So, so we have all the, uh, we, we are sitting on a gold mine and unfortunately we are not using it. Uh, the, the rationale is that at the expense of few individuals, you can save the entire species. You can earn so much money that you can put it back into conservation. You can increase the habitat. You can make proper corridors connecting uh, different pockets of wild, uh, of national uh, greenery, of national parks and reserves. And uh, you you keep the national parks uh, safe. You don't need to have hunting there, but in the private land you can introduce uh, trophy hunting or hunting for meat uh, to create uh, to to earn that revenue which is much required these are my personal views i'm not sure if the government agrees with it or when they will or if ever they will agree to it but i personally feel because i have seen the success abroad i've seen the success of trophy hunting in south africa in argentina in other places so that's I strongly believe in that. So the antis will say, and, it, and it's a fair argument, that you know, the idea that some the rhetoric that we typically talk about is that you know, bring in hunting, it's going to be able to sustain wildlife populations uh, through all of the mechanisms and the consequences of the action. A lot of people could say, well, wildlife is doing just quite fine in India. There's, there's no reason yeah. to hunt. It's burgeoning. As you said, leopard populations going through the roof, tiger population going through the roof, nilgar population going through the roof, wild boar population going through the roof, axis, chittle deer going through the roof. You don't need wild, you don't need hunting in India to save and protect wildlife. That is a very true statement. That is, that is. That's what they always say because they are far from reality. All these people the animal rights organizations, they don't go and see the pain which the common man in the village sharing his habitat with the wildlife, they don't go and see that. 
So their attitude towards a man-eating leopard would definitely change if they had to lose their own kith and kin to a man-eater. Mm-hmm. But since they are living in urban areas, far from reality, they have their own agendas. So they, they have their ways of going about things and saying whatever they do. But unfortunately, it's become such a powerful uh, thing to reckon with that it's, it's very difficult sure. uh, to... Yeah, to change the the attitude. You know, in India, I would see it more of a a sort of an an economic driver, right? You obviously have a very large rural population that probably subsists on very, very low income, um, you know, on on a monthly basis or even on an annual basis. So this would be, hunting would be an opportunity to bring revenues into those areas that is desperately needed. Exactly. as you said, the man-eating leopard, I, you know, that's probably where you should start. Where you could start is, I guarantee you, there would be a number of people in the U.S. willing to be on a standby list. When Absolutely. the warden of your state says, here's the permit for this leopard in this state, and you ring up whoever's you know, next on the list saying, okay, $50,000, come on. We've got to take this leopard in the next week. They'll drop what they're doing and come and do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so all of a sudden, the revenue that is generated from this leopard that needs to be taken out, uh, that's very well specified. It's not just any random leopard that you're taking. You're taking a very, you know, you're very deliberate about the leopard that's being taken out. Sheesh. Look, it's common sense, right? But that common sense doesn't translate into the urban environments, unfortunately. Unfortunately. In fact, uh, uh, all the animals, the conflict animals which are shot, tigers and leopards, they have to be, a post-mortem is conducted, and after that they have to be burnt. So you are actually wasting the trophy, the skin, the bones, everything, which could other, otherwise be used. You know, so that I found that I find it very ridiculous. I, I, I somehow feel it's a waste of the animal. You know, it's interesting that you say that. I wonder if that, you know, one of the things that we get tagged a lot in um, is this trophy nonsense and the need to take, you know, part of the animal home and put it on the wall and that kind of stuff. In this case, if they're burning the animal, you wouldn't be able to take anything home. That's right. But I I don't think anyone would, look, it would be, you know, be a very cool story, but just the photograph would be like, Hey, I went to India and I, and I helped get rid of a man eating leopard. No, but I would like to go a step ahead. I would say that if you have that, why don't you start another industry of taxidermy? India at one time had probably the world's best taxidermists. Van Ingen and Van Ingen of Mysore were famous taxidermists worldwide. And in the heydays, it was considered, it was, as, uh, it was said that one out of three big cats shot in India went to Van Ingen for the taxidermy. So uh, we had those big names and that is something we can actually develop even today. And it's going to be a big industry. So why not? The hunter comes, he shoots, he pays the trophy fee, and he also pays for the taxidermy. So you make more money. And then the hunter is going to the most remote places where normally a tourist would never go. 
So he is contributing to the economy of that particular village, uh, which is far from uh, the the normal place where where people the no normal tourist uh, spots. So you are you are developing that area as well and the economy of that particular area. It sounds like too much common sense, Doctor Singh. Yeah, but somehow common sense is not so common nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I uh, I appreciate you coming on. I, I we're you know we 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 did, we have short, sharp iron sharpening iron type conversations. Um, let me do this. Is there anything that's left on your heart that our audience, knowing for the first time, and this won't be the last time that we talk to you, Doctor Singh, but yeah. that that you need to impart some some phenomenal knowledge of leopards and man eaters and any other wildlife situation in India that that would you know right. be of interest. One, you know, one of one one change I would like to bring uh, uh, to notice. You might have read or heard of Jim Corbett, the famous man eater hunter. Well, I'm going to say that you are the Indian <laughs> no. Corbett for leopards. But... <laughs> not really. He was a class apart, so I would not compare myself to the legend. Now, he in his book, The Man-Eating Leopards of Kumau, uh, Man-Eaters of Kumau, he says that nine out of ten tigers turn man-eaters due to injury, and one out of the ten turns due to old age. So, uh, Jim Corbett was hunting a century ago in the same area where I live, in Kumau and the Garhwal Himalayas. And uh, he was shooting these man-eaters. And he used to observe that most of them would turn man-eater because of some reason behind it. A normal tiger, a healthy tiger would never turn man-eater. It was the injured and the old ti uh, tiger or leopard which would turn man-eaters. But there's a major shift which I have seen over the years. In fact, out of the eight man-eaters I have shot, only two had injuries. Mm -hmm. One had a broken, broken canine, and the other one had a missing paw. The paw was probably caught in the poacher's snare, a clutch wire snare, which, is, which they use commonly, and it was totally cut off. So uh, the, the, the big cats, they need their front paws to grip onto the animal and then get the final bite. So this had a, the front right paw was totally missing. So obviously it was not able to kill uh, the normal prey base. And it had, that's how it turned to man-eating. Man then the other one, like I mentioned, had a broken canine. So that also caused a lot of discomfort and then it turned to man-eating. But, but six out of eight were absolutely healthy individuals in the prime you, uh, prime of age. They were aged between four to seven years of age. So there was no reason for them to turn man-eater. But I've been studying that and I have observed that when Corbett was hunting his man-eaters, the landmass, India as a country, extended all the way from the borders of Afghanistan, that includes Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, and Burma. So we had a much bigger landscape. And we had a population of 300 million. Mm. And what has happened now, after 100 years, we have a much smaller land, land area. Uh, Pakistan is out, Bangladesh is not there, Burma is a separate country. And we have a population of 1.36 billion. So you can imagine the amount of pressure on land. Mm -hmm. So you have so many more humans 
uh, encroaching on wild places, on wild habitats, a shrinking wild habitat, which is under pressure uh, from humans. And as a result, you have more and more healthy animals coming in conflict with, uh, with uh, man. Mm -hmm. And then in the absence of all hunting, I strongly feel that these big cats are losing the fear of humans. Mm -hmm. So if we somehow introduce trophy hunting, that will further reduce the conflict because that fear which was lost in the past 40, 50 years will again come back and the animal will stay, will stay away from, right. from, from humans. In fact, you must have probably seen videos of leopards coming into towns and cities and lifting dogs in the night and uh, coming in front. So, so they have actually lost. Uh, in fact, day before I was seeing a video where people are throwing stones at a leopard and the leopard is trying to kill a cow. And there's a, there's a vehicle which comes right next to it and still it doesn't leave the cow. So right. they've become so boisterous. So, so that fear has to be brought in. And the best way to get it in is through trophy hunt. Well, look, it's, you know, I, 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 I try to imagine in my brain what India was like in Corbett's day, right? As you said, much larger landmass, smaller population. The wilds of India must have been magnificent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just real, like, Africa-type places that, you know, just nobody went to and just burgeoning with wildlife. Um, it's a fascinating place. And that's why I love talking to, obviously, this conversation has been amazing. Rajiv, uh, Bigaraf, and hopefully we'll just, you know, bring you back every six months or so and just entertain the audience in, in, from a different part of the world and having, you know, the wildlife issues and problems. And, you know, we believe that hunting is a tool for wildlife management. And we believe that hunting is an economic driver in places that have you know very very little and not many people want to go there as you say from a, a photographic tourism ecotourism perspective they're places people don't want to go but hunters do want to go That's so right. dr singh i appreciate you i appreciate the time that you gave me today and uh thank you i really really thank enjoyed you. it and uh my mind is spinning in all sorts of directions but uh, thank you. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience, brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts, every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. to go with like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.